My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Hilder. Welcome back to another episode of Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. So glad to have you here with us, as always. Back in late 2022, songwriter Lincoln Barr got in touch with me via email writing a personal note in which he expressed an appreciation for what we do here at Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. It's been fun connecting with you a bit on social media over the past few months, Lincoln said. Continuing, listening to the topics that come up in your conversations, I can't help but recognize a kindred spirit out there in the desert. I've been reflecting on what drives transmissions as I work on producing the rest of this season's run. And notes like the one that Lincoln sent really illuminate why I am driven to share these conversations with transmissions. Since then, he and I have gone back and forth a lot via email discussing spirituality, art, poetry, Ireland, Sinead O'Connor, NRBQ, psychedelia, personal work, and much, much more. We knew that uh, our conversations we're going to lead to eventually an episode of transmissions and i'm so glad to share that talk with you now but the day we taped it um was the day that word of sinead o'connor's death broke and i was tempted to cancel because i was affected pretty emotionally by it and i suspected that lincoln would be too but ultimately i'm so glad that we pushed uh, through and went for it sometimes the conversations that are uh the conversations you think are going to be more difficult end up being the conversations that are sustaining the kind of conversations that you need to have. Lincoln and I, of course, ended up discussing O'Connor, but if you want to listen to a full conversation here on Transmissions about her, just a couple of weeks back, we ran a great episode with Allison McCabe, author of Why Sinead O'Connor Matters, and I recommend if you're new to Sinead's work or if you're a longtime fan and you're looking for some different angles, um, I would recommend you check that one out. Sinead is, of course, one of my great heroes, a beacon of spiritual complexity and artistry. I wrote about her passing for Aquarium Drunkard, a short piece called Promises to the Holy Spirit. And uh, if you're looking for more on Sinead, I recommend checking that one out too. A few days after we recorded this chat, Lincoln shared another note with me about O'Connor that moved me deeply. He wrote, Sinead was from my country, not Ireland, but to paraphrase Barry Crimmins, the country of the brokenhearted. We lost a patriot, a patron saint. I think more than anything, when we look back on O'Connor's work, what we can take comfort in is the notion that that brokenheartedness the vulnerability that led her to create, speak out, and stage actions in testament to her convictions, that kind of brokenheartedness is what empathy often demands. In her book, Rememberings, O'Connor writes about angrily praying to God after her mother's death. She says, his answers are always silent. It took me a while to come to grips with that. I thought the silence meant he didn't care. So I'd scream, more until I was all screamed out and could only be silent myself. I thought you were supposed to hear his voice like in all the stories. I found out the fact is that he can't speak 
because he's crying so much himself. Who can speak when they're weeping? O'Connor's best songs, like Lincoln's on his great album, Forfeit the Prize, prove that even when one can't speak through such suffering, occasionally they can sing through it. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'll speak with you a little bit more on the other side. Thanks for being with us here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Waiting for his turn Another lost boy With foolish hopes to burn Forlorn for reasons He cannot discern Deathly walk in a straight line Focused on his task Eager to find An ever finer mask Troubled by questions Got to ask, grand reward, losing its shine, calling upon our holy trinity for a miracle might be the last remaining avenue to reach his desperate dream, staking his last shreds of divinity. Jason. Hey, Lincoln. How are you? I'm all right, man. How are you? 
I'm doing okay. Uh, as we were just on Instagram going back and forth, <laughs> yeah. we're recording at the moment of uh, Sinead O'Connor just passed away today, or, or the news broke yeah. at least that she had passed away. I don't know for sure, but um, yeah, rough, rough stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry because I have a little bit of an idea of how much she and her music uh, mean to you. Yeah, so. thank you so much. I feel it's been really cool to see so many people uh, posting yeah. and sharing their their favorite performances. I just I just shared the other day on, on my favorite website X, um, which I get to by going, <laughs> which I get to by going to Twitter dot com. I get that's how I get to my favorite website X, which is a great name for a redirect. Yeah, a I social love it. media slash. Uh, soon to be bank of some sort anyway whatever he's got going on over there um but i i, I shared uh uh something a clip that i had shared last year for whatever reason as somebody else liked it you know or retweeted it so i was like i'll put this back out there because it's yeah. I, I think that as a live performer i never got to see her live unfortunately yeah, same kind of an erratic touring you know mm -hmm. situation and stuff but not somebody who is who is made for the music industry. Somebody who is made for music, for sure, you know? Absolutely. But not the music industry. Rough situation. Yeah, I saw that post of yours. I was visiting a friend, one of my you know, closest friends, and uh, it was John I Love You, right? That, yeah. That's the one that you posted? Yeah. yeah. Incredible. I, yeah, I mean, just like I was thinking about, you know, I think there's it, – it, it's hard for me to – I mean, I certainly wouldn't presume to know what it was like to be Sinead O'Connor, sure, right? I have no, sure. no idea, but I know what her music and her, her, just her being sort of reflect back to me, right? About myself, right? And and I think, I think, yeah, I mean, the pain that she carried around was just unfathomable, right? And and as pain tends to do, it it accrues and accru accrues more more pain. And um, I feel really, I feel really sad um, about that. I'm yeah. sad that that it had to be that way. But I feel really grateful that she um, she stuck around as as long as she did and shared so so much because it's her body of work is just incredible and just the the life that she lived i mean I, you know she she gives me courage just knowing that she could do it i think her bravery is is this is the it's of all of her sort of spiritual qualities i think it's the kind that's the most uh god i'm getting a little choked up even uh just thinking about it because you're mm -hmm. right she had such a she suffered and i think about how Somebody like Nick Cave has spent a lot of time over the last couple of years really uh, exploring, meditating, corresponding with people, mm -hmm. you know, about about grief and about creativity and all the other stuff. Occasionally some kind of cringy vibes from that guy uh, in his <laughs> newsletter. Occasionally. But whomst yeah. among us does not air on the side of cringe, you know, now and oh, then. Oh, get ready. Yeah, get exactly. Ready. That's all. I hope people are ready. That's all this one's going to be. Uh but I also think that, uh, you know, when you look at her work, you see that that suffering is part of it, but it's, mm -hmm. but she's able to transmute it into something else. And I think this is a very tricky topic for people, mm -hmm. um, especially right now in a time where we feel so shaky and uncertain about what's going on. I think that that conversation can 
great pain lead to great art mm. is a is a touchy and tricky one because you don't want to valorize suffering. I don't think we need no. to valorize suffering anymore, you know, as a culture. Uh, and yet, suffering is inherent to our experience of the world, you know? And, right. and so right. there has to be something that can be done with it. And I feel mm-hmm. like sometimes in our rush not, not to valorize it, we, we almost end up sidestepping it, you know? People are starting right. to become obviously a lot more open about mm-hmm. everything uh, from mental health to depression to any, anything. You know, people are yeah. becoming more open, thankfully. But she was somebody who just, she lived completely outside of herself sometimes in this like sense and i've loved engaging with her work really a lot over the last couple years yeah i'd always liked you know nothing compares to you when i was a kid or whatever Mm -hmm. yeah but then when you start to dig into like you said her body of work from really cool post-punk stuff to Mm -hmm. incredible folk music to like maybe the only white reggae record (laughs) That's okay. Agreed. And it's mostly not a white reggae record, of course, because Sly and Ravi are like, they've got, she's right. got this incredible <laughs> they, band. I think they've, they've got credentials, <laughs> they, I think. I hear they're good, you know. <laughs> I hear those guys have some say on, you know, qual, uh, qualitative reggae, whatever. But yeah, but you look at this body of work and you see she was just restless, creati- creatively restless. Um, she often, although everybody's talking about when she ripped up the picture of the Pope on SNL, mm-hmm. understandably, because it was mm-hmm. a lightning bolt of a moment in culture Mm -hmm. and ignited almost exclusively it seems at the time negative uh and unhelpful you know conversations but she's so much more than that and i think that um she said that that didn't derail her career it put her back on the path she was Mm -hmm. supposed to be on so i think those records from the early 90s universal mother particularly being one of them where she covers you know all apologies the nirvana Mm -hmm. song and and my friend ken lane was just messaging me he was saying that uh that they were only born two months apart her and kurt cobain she covers all apologies on that record so you know in a way you you realize like yeah you know she really did she was 56 but a lot happened in those years a lot of life and some of it was like exuberant you know she would get back on social media and just post the most like mm-hmm. outlandish stuff and you know just such a, a monumental figure yeah so it's really it's a drag that she's passed away but i did want to start actually around the concept sort of of, of dub because i've noticed that's a thread that runs through a lot of mm. your work is an attraction to um yeah. n- not always doing like dub you know uh mm-hmm. but taking that sort of approach to to your work and yeah to your so to, you hear it in in the in the most recent record i think and then you also of course can hear it more directly in some of your older stuff i checked out some of the red jacket mind stuff and was like yeah mm. obviously there yeah. you're explicitly doing that but how when did you get into to dub and what's your attraction to that sort of uh sound in in general hmm yeah i mean I- so I mean I guess I've I've been a fan for I don't know fifteen or twenty years I I, I guess it, it didn't it, it didn't occur to me until much later to that you know that there was something there that 
I might be able to incorporate into my own music, kind of for reasons that you you alluded to earlier, right? <laughs> you know, who, who am I <laughs> to, yeah. to presume to make a, a dub record? And and but there's something about that way of 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 listening uh, to existing music that I find really inspiring um, way the way of sort of reconstituting an existing piece of music that is already like, you know, in the case of most or all dub songs that I know of the source material is fucking killer. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> right. But there's something about looking at it from another angle, right. Uh, rebuilding, that I find really inspiring and and evocative. And over time, I think I've found certain ways to bring that into my music. And I think, you know, um, it's been deliberate because I think that especially in the last five, six years, since I've been making music under my own name, there is a way that if I'm not careful the music that I'm making could, at least at face value, come off as being extremely sort of traditional and and mm. and tame. Um, and maybe it's a signifier or something in some way, right? Like by incorporating some of those production techniques, subtle though they may be, I think yeah. in a lot of cases, it's sort of indicating like, no, this is not that, right? Like this isn't a slavish reproduction of a uh, 60s you know uh vocal jazz record or something like that so maybe that that's part of my attraction I mean, and just the sort of the wildness my friend and i that i mentioned earlier were listening to the lee perry record uh roast fish uh collieweed and cornbread over the weekend and i mean utterly insane visionary music right like uh, there if if there's anything in that for me to absorb unconsciously yeah. uh I, I i want it <laughs> yeah of, yeah of, of course of course i think it's 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 really fascinating because it does dub being one of those ways where like you said the sort of reconstitutive element the the element where you're 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 taking you're kind of amplifying or slightly fracturing the original context mm -hmm. and you're you're extending it you're playing with time you're mm -hmm. you're stretching out lines that wouldn't take up formally as much space you know you're doing all mm -hmm. these things and it really is like hard to deny that like he's in that lee scratch perry and those and other people of the time king tubby you know who, whoever mm -hmm. else were like inventing the modern production playbook in some ways yeah. you know um yeah sort of the the direct connection between that and hip-hop obviously so mm -hmm. so mind-blowing but then to hear you talk about how you're able to use it i like what you're saying because like it's there's other things too in the music that you fold in that nod mm -hmm. toward you know a little more stuff that leans a little more psychedelic uh i think there's a big sophistopop sort of like sure sensibility at times all of these things that get interjected just ever so slightly and just on the contours really that um mm -hmm. i think help to like you said sort of expand the idea of what it is but at the core that sort of um 
traditional material you're working with i think you are working very effectively with that i was mm. i was i went back and watched the the live performance from weird stuff oh cool Thank you know you. It, it, in advance of this and i was just i was still so struck by it because i just love the way that you all present that stuff and the mm. and the feel you you toured with that crew earlier this year right the the the, the, the folks who were backing you up on that one yeah, that was in March. Right? Yeah. Uh, just a short tour of the Midwest, but it was it was a great time, and I'm really really glad we could uh, stop into the weird stuff antiques and and sort of uh, document that that band. I mean, I played with all those folks on. They're all on the last two records right. and the film soundtrack that came between them. But just that particular lineup at that moment in time, uh, it was uh, it was. Uh, it was a privilege to to get to do those dates with them and yeah to be able to document it was uh, was a real treat that was great was i know was uh was so johnny was playing guitar right your longtime mm-hmm. musical compatriot johnny uh, sangster that's right yeah johnny sangster was on baritone guitar in the video and on that tour mm-hmm. so i love that you had him sort of filling in as part guitar part bass right like what he was bringing mm-hmm. to the those when the when he would drop in on the low register of that baritone, it sounded really really good, you know. And I thought that was a really cool approach. The two of you played very well, and then obviously the keys taking up all sorts mm-hmm. of cool um, sonic real estate as well. But that was great. When so you you mentioned obviously that John uh, from Clexico had played on mm-hmm. the last two records. Mm-hmm. When did you first meet him? Did you cross paths with him in the Red Jacket Mind days or or later? Not really. It was when I set out to make my first solo record, Trembling Frame. So this would have been, the conversations would have been in 2015, probably. Mm-hmm. And because the, I think we recorded it in January 2016. Um, and he was an acquaintance of Johnny's. Um, Johnny and he had worked together on um, on a record for a Danish pedal steel uh, player named Maggie Bjorklund. Um, and I think that was how they met. Cool. Um, at Wave Lab in Tucson, I think is where they did the recording. Um, and so when I had brought, you know, the the songs that I'd written for that album were quite a change of pace, right? But kind of literally and figuratively sure. from from the band material that I've been working on, also with Johnny. And so when I brought those songs to him, he, you know, we started to talk about how we might sort of cast this this record and John's name came up. And I was certainly familiar with the Calexico records, um, in particular, uh, Feast of Wire was it was a big one for me and still yeah. is. But um, I, you know, he wasn't really on my radar as a as a potential collaborator at all. But wow, um, he, you know, he, he just getting to play music with him has changed a lot for me and and you know i i look he's kind of a uh personal hero of mine too just in his approach um his his willingness to kind of meet the musical moment and uh and treat every performance as some as as something that's unique and and special and uh, you know he never for a drummer he he never plays a part yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, at least at least not on my material right he, he's he's reacting to everything including you know the vocal and that just really you know uh that's really inspiring it's really inspiring to be around someone like that and and share music with them so yeah that's amazing yeah, you are you, and you guys are playing uh, next month in Seattle, mm-hmm. right? On August twenty fourth. 
Yep. Yeah, we're doing a show, and that's going to be uh, that's August twenty fourth at the Royal Room in Seattle, which is a, a you know, place that I played quite a lot when I lived in the Northwest, and great room. Um, and that one's going to be special because we've got a string quartet uh, joining us too, uh, which is going to be the first time that uh, yeah. these songs are going to be performed live with strings. So the passenger really string quartet, right? That's right. Yeah. Andrew Jocelyn, um, who did a lot of the arranging and, and a lot of the performance on the record is, is leading that troupe. That's really cool. That's going to be, that's going to be great. The strings are a great, uh, in, you know, element of what happens on, on your record too. And I know that that was like another talk about being sort of deliberate. Like you had not mm-hmm. really employed strings previously, uh, not in a, in a major way. Right. Not really. I mean, in the early Red Jacket Mine records, so like 2008-ish, nine, we had a great, great string player, uh, viola player, Avon King, play on those a little bit. And he did some really uh, unique and, and, and great arranging on those albums. But then we kind of went in more of a, of a rockier sort of direction. Um, and there wasn't really a place for it. And then when I went to make my first solo record, Trembling Frames, that felt like it could have been sort of the obvious choice um, with the with that material in particular like let's slather on the strings and go full sinatra or johnny mathis or whatever with this and at that time i didn't want to i mean what i was that th- what i was do- doing kind of lyrically in particular was so personal i i think maybe it felt like it was um you know, something to hide behind, right? right. Uh, it, and I didn't want to do that. And I also kind of wanted to 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 buck any sort of genre pigeonholing, you know, as much as I could, right? Obviously, that's up to other people. It's not up to me. But if there are certain choices I can make that uh, either will guarantee that yeah. or, or yeah. maybe, uh, you know, resist it, that, that I think that was the thought process. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I think that obviously engaging with the strings in a bigger way on this new one, to mm-hmm. me, it like it adds to a lot of the the sort of dreaminess. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it really is a, a we've been going back and forth right via email now for mm-hmm. for almost a year or, or maybe more than a year. I don't know yeah. exactly how it worked. <laughs> I have to, I'd have to mm-hmm. go back I'm, and really check. I don't really remember either, <laughs> but it's been enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been deeply enjoyable. We we have a lot of overlapping interests that mm-hmm. uh, you know, recurrent topics here on the podcast, obviously talking about music and time, but also just weird, weird stuff in general mm-hmm. and uh in addition to weird weird stuff where you taped, you know, that great performance, <laughs> we often uh, will go back and forth about weird studies and other things like mm-hmm. that. A great a, a podcast we're both fans of. But yeah, so I know that you're like very, uh, you know, you're, you're rather open to the ideas of the unknown or the paranormal or however mm-hmm. you want to. I guess I would be curious. How do you describe like what it is that you you think if you had like to boil down your sort of mystical worldview, mm. would you be able to, I mean, it's a, it's a daunting task no matter what, but I wonder if, if you could give it a shot. Wow. Um, I think that more than, more than anything, I think I, my spirituality is I don't know, yeah. right? And I, 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 I'm, I, I, I'm drifting further and further away from certainty, right? Like the older I get, and I think that that's a good thing. I think that that's a healthy thing. I grew up in an environment of 
extreme and uh, compulsory certainty, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I, as one does, I tend, I sort of reacted against that in my early adulthood and, and to the other pole, right? Of, of extreme certainty of, of, you know, the, the, that there is nothing, right? That there is nothing to believe in. And, you know, through, well, I mean, you kind of mentioned it earlier through suffering, through, um, having your persona and your sort of self-image kind of dashed on the rocks over and o of life over and over again which is not to say right like i'm special it's to say i'm i'm quite the opposite you know what i mean i'm 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 an, i'm a human being and we're all going through it <laughs> yeah well it's funny that you have to qualify it i understand why you're doing so because it's it's important right like when you start talking about suffering people uh, immediately there there's a, a weird thing that happens i think particularly uh in our modern age which is sort of a, a, an almost reflexive like fear that like by talking about suffering you're you're, right. you're um you're letting down a sort of facade you know i think i think our, our mm -hmm. a lot of our interactions require a kind of facade and i guess that's true sure. no matter what right like uh, yeah and so i don't even mean to put it in sort of negative terms but regardless i think that the idea of like suffering is is a normal and uh, uh it, and and it's a normal state. It's just one of mm -hmm. the states, you know, we, we go through it, but you can utilize, you can understand it and, and help and, and allow it to help teach you whatever lessons, mm -hmm. you know, you might need to know. Right. And that's another one where I know it, it, I don't love to get self-helpy at all. Right. You know, mm -hmm. cause that's the other thing you want to avoid too, is telling people like, yeah, use all your bad feelings to fix yourself or, or whatever. But, <laughs> but, but at the same time, yeah, you kind of do use you use your good feelings and your bad feelings to fix yourself. Yeah. You know, use all your feelings if you're if you're able to. And I think that that universal thing you're talking about is great. And I love that you're talking about drifting away from certainty because I do think that there we're living in a very certain age mm, in a lot yes. of ways. Certain of certain on interpersonal levels, you know the somebody's deal you know before you really know their deal but you know their deal mm -hmm. and you're certain of their deal you know so mm -hmm. you just kind of can write a person off or more and more you know here we are I, I know sometimes my i listen to the podcast so i know that sometimes my air conditioner is uh is audible on the podcast every now and then right you can hear it in the air in the in the room i'm in but it's crucial you have to have the ac on right you know in arizona where i absolutely where i think i heard it was 115 <laughs> yeah. degrees to, today so <laughs> so lately a lot of people i know are thinking about climate change and it mm. is easy to become certain about climate change too and i don't mm. mean that of course we should be certain that climate change is occurring you know right but knowing exactly what's going to happen next i think is mm -hmm. is or or pretending to is kind of uh, uh it's it's not a it's not a helpful thing i don't think we right. do know what's going to happen next and that's our main we're trying to avoid that by sort of almost fleeing into a kind of apocalyptic uh just worldview. I wonder if that's how it feels to you. I know you also grew up with, with some religion, you know? So, I mean, I think people are always waiting for the end of the world one way or the other, but I feel like right now it's especially acute for people. Yeah. I mean, so this hits on something I've been thinking about a lot, which is, 
you know, uh, certainty and pessimism or cynicism as a defense right. against disappointment. You know what I mean? Uh, so if we rush headlong into our certain uh, destruction, we're protecting ourselves from yeah. disappointment, right? Uh, uh, of trying and, or, and failing to fix the right, problem. It, it, exactly. And I think, right, like certainly that applies at the, certainly, uh, caught myself there, but uh, <laughs> that applies at a, you know, kind of global level, but it's also a very personal thing that right. we, we all do. And you kind of have to, you really have to choose over and over and over again not to do that. And, it, and it's difficult because disappointment is painful. <laughs> yeah, you know, and as an artist, I'm sure that's something that you have to deal with as well, right? Which is like mm -hmm. the kind of, uh, you know, you're navig we're navigating the attention economy is, mm. it's just, it feels more and more untenable, you know what I mean? <laughs> to me, that's that's, yeah. that's just the way I've been feeling lately about all of the way that we do things with, say, the mm -hmm. internet, and it's like, yeah, I don't know, like a huge chunk of what we should be doing probably should just be happening offline, essentially. Yeah. You know? We should be going to shows. We should be going to weird antique stores. I don't I, mean, I guess you don't have to go to <laughs> antique stores, but um, but I wondered if while you were out on the road, I mean, did you get a sense that like I, another thing I've been thinking about is you, you put out your first solo record in, I think, 2017, right? Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Mm -hmm. 2017 and 2021, 22, 23, mm -hmm. opposite sides of a kind of chasm, right? You know, like, yeah. And I yeah. wondered if, if for you, if that's, if you've ever thought about that in terms of the way these, these albums are in relation to each other, you know what I mean? Were you writing pretty consistently between the, 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 the two records? Um, not really. I, I, I mean, which is not entirely unusual for me. Yeah. I, I think for quite a, a long time, I've written in more kind of waves. Um, I think if anything has changed, it's been more my acceptance of that, right? You know what I mean? Uh, and, did you, and did you used to, to struggle? Did you used to struggle with that more? Like a fear that you should be making more? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think for most of my adult life, yeah. um, you know, my self-worth was directly attached to the, the the proximity and the quality of the song that I'd just written, right? You know what I mean? And uh, and feeling like it just, you know, if I hadn't completed something in, you know, so much time that I was worthless and, yeah. right? And, yeah. um, and so I don't, I, you know, I, I certainly those feelings still rise up, right? But I think I'm better at putting them in their place nowadays. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that in terms of where these bodies of work are situated on our collective, you know, uh, timeline, uh, all I can say is that there was a huge chasm, right? Or there there's a there's a threshold for me personally yeah. that coincides with and i'm sure is in is relate in relationship with uh that that timeline but maybe maybe there's not a direct line there yeah but that is suffice to say it was a time of of a lot a lot of personal change for me and in some ways the songs um immediately preceded the sort of cataclysmic event that we've all been through sure. it, since you know uh with the pandemic and everything like that but it was a lot of um it, it was very 
fortunate for me because it gave me something i think to look forward to during that that time of sure. the, the you know the of extreme kind of lockdown um and it gave me something to occupy my sort of you know creative impulses as well even if a lot of the like the heavy lifting of the writing was done sure i was still you know they i was still sort of marinating in in this material and kind of refining the vision of what it could be uh, which have it was a good way to pass the time. <laughs> Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and... As an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and of course add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Yeah, and I think more and more people are excited to have the conversation too. Maybe this is in part a lesson that we've taken from the pandemic and are trying to figure out how to integrate into our lives, but mm. But there's a relationship to the quality of the work and the time that it's given to come into its own. Uh, mm. For somebody like an artist, you're able to create something. You're working, I guess what I'm saying is you're working on it even before you've started doing it in some sense, because that's what songs oh, are, yeah. right? Like yeah. songs are all these parts of a thing that are kind of bouncing around in your brain. Mm -hmm. And they do all sorts of strange things long before anything ever actually comes out, right? You know. Oh, uh, right. Yes. And I wonder for you if, as you uh, underwent, you know, personal, you know, bo both things like therapy or um, spiritual explorations, all the different things that you've engaged in, you know, I wonder for you, how did that? There's David Lynch tells this famous story, right, in his book. Uh, Room to Dream, I think, or mm -hmm. or maybe it's the uh, Catching the Big Fish. But anyway, he mm -hmm. went to a psychiatrist and he asked, like, will this, you know, uh, will our work potentially affect my creativity? Mm. And the, the guy, you know, the doctor said, it could, sure. Mm -hmm. And he was like, all right, not for me. You know, which I, <laughs> I find, um, I find, sure, David Lynch can make whatever choice David Lynch wants to make. I'm sure for right. many people various kinds of therapy are very helpful to the creative process. Mm -hmm. I just wonder what the relationship looks like to you. And do you view songwriting differently following some of that um, sort of that period of growth and, and change and, and evolution, personal evolution? Um, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, obviously I, I idolize Lynch, right. As I think you do too. Oh, right. Sure. So anything, any choice he makes that I'm aware of is usually pretty okay with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, so I support his, his, uh, his, his choice there if it's working for him. But 
I mean, but I guess it's funny to think about that it, from his perspective, because if if I had gone to um, a, you know, one of my analyst or my therapist or whatever, and said, is this going to affect my creativity? And they had said, yes, or it possibly I would say, great. Right. I mean, like yeah. I, I want it to, right. Like I, I, yeah. I I'm, I'm, I want to go someplace here with this. And, 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 and it certainly has, uh, number one, I would say that in order to keep creating, one has to keep surviving, right? And and the relationships and with the relationship with myself and relationships with others and the way those have evolved through my therapeutic experience has that's supported my continued survival. So yeah. I mean, I, I know that sounds kind of flippant, but like it, no, or, no, or, not at all. But it, it's the truth. Um, and so in that sense, right? It it certainly has influenced my creativity. But I think you know. It's also given or kind of restored and continually been a source of sort of the restoration of of courage uh, to per, to pursue my own ideas. I mean, you know, there, there's um, there's a song on the record called "Only an Idiot" um, that I kind of joked on tour that it was sort of a, it, it was about the potentially fatal mistake of of being an optimist you know <laughs> yeah. uh, um and you know it is sort of a a mission statement for the record right uh, where and and in i was thinking about this in co the context of Sinead earlier today too in just that I, again i don't know what it was like to be her mm -hmm. um or what it is like to be her but um i i realized some time ago that the source of a lot of my depression um the the sort of acute source of it anyway was was disappointment right and re i realizing you know that i had c come i could meet life on on optimistic terms right mm -hmm. and as you know as you might suspect i'm frequently disappointed um and that you know i think the source of that is right the, the abuse that i went through uh when i was a, a child which is you know which i know was an experience that sh she had as well and when you're betrayed on such a basic level right like how could you not be disappointed right yeah. how, how could how could you not um because it's you know that it's wrong right like you 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 may not know in your mind but you know in your body that what's happening is wrong yeah that that uh, sense of injustice and also not being recognized you know mm -hmm. is is so devastating to consider and yeah 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 that's that's it's intense so you know i think that uh to kind of go back to your question like the, my therapeutic relationships um, have have given me uh, courage to return to optimism over yeah. and over and over again, despite all of life's setbacks and disappointments. Um, the ones that I that are avoidable and the ones that are are done right, and and there nothing can be done now to to change them. Um, it's given me courage and perspective you know in, in placing my suffering in the context of of everyone's and under not not to diminish it but to deepen you know my understanding of it uh and really just open myself up to the world which i think it 
you know, I'm certainly, that's not a complete process, but, uh, it, you know, I'm, uh, I've, I've made some progress in that area and I'm really grateful for it. Yeah, I think that what you're talking about is so beautiful because that sense of like, I mean, it's, it, it sounds, you know, so much runs the risk of sounding trite and, you know, we avoid that territory too sometimes because we don't want to sound goofy on a podcast, but... <laughs> But I, but I, I think about what you're, I think about what you're saying and how that work has allowed you to deepen your own relationship with your creativity, and, mm -hmm. and I also think about how some of the other stuff that I know that we both share an interest in is, you know, things that uh, run the the mystical or, or metaphysical, and for me, mm -hmm. primary attraction to a lot of that stuff is because I am interested in the mythological frameworks right or the mm -hmm. sort of um archetypal framework frameworks right. that were that we're drawn to and that we use to make sense of the world and mm -hmm. and um i often find that the occult the language of the occult gives us ways to talk about things like suffering you know in the language of something like uh alchemy or whatever right you're, like you're right. transmuting you're turn you're turning something suffering which is a human constant and it's a negative in our mm -hmm. heads you know you can learn to reorient yourself towards it or against it or whatever but yeah i just feel like there's so much there's so much at work there um in terms of the way you can use the sort of language of the mystical to talk about the everyday right and i mm -hmm. feel like that's often a lot of what what's happening on on the record but then on a song like safe for dreaming you know it really mm -hmm. does sound like you're talking about some sort of like uh out of body experience or whatever <laughs> which is what which is great right i mean that's 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 a huge part of the mystery and the awe and the attraction part of what can bring us back into facing the world over and over again is, right. is the belief that we might see something that we haven't even seen yet you know or experience something yeah I think that's it. I think, I mean, you know, if, if why do I keep writing songs? Why do I keep getting up in the morning? Because yeah. I want to be, I want to be surprised. Yeah. You know what I mean? I love, there's a song on uh, Trembling Frames called Fond of Surprises that is kind of, you know, uh, um, grim in a way, but, <laughs> but there's a, there's a kernel of sort of, true enthusiasm in there even from the the darker place that i wrote the song from because i i do i love to be surprised and i mean you could call it magical thinking too and you might be right you know but yeah. uh, and and certainly i was steeped in that growing up in the you know the pentecostal or evangelical world there's a lot of um belief in there's belief in miracles right uh enthusiastic and uh acceptance of that possibility and and sort of um solicitation of it yeah um for sure <laughs> but i do right like i i i i, I want to be surprised and and i think that it, that keeps me returning to the well whatever that the well may be yeah and i and i love that that in that recognition of of wanting to be surprised at least for me, what I have found is that you increase the likelihood of that by sharpening mm -hmm. your gaze, like by paying more attention to things rather than less. Usually. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, that's where surprises tend to happen, right? On those sort of micro, micro levels. And that's I, right. And, yeah. and I feel like ultimately the language of the occult, like I feel no real... Com 
I'm like totally open to the notion that we have like say extra physical senses or things like that because sure. I mean I just that doesn't even it, I just maybe I sound like a like a goof again but like that just doesn't even sound remotely outlandish to me you why, know what I mean yeah why not right <laughs> I mean like why wouldn't we we know we know right. all sorts of uh, sort of sense making you know factors go into everything we do so on mm-hmm. the topic of the sort of the mystic or the occult because i know that you're also drawn to some of that stuff and enjoy sometimes evoking that imagery and you know yeah. i think of dweller on the, the threshold i think of that sort of like image you know yeah. mm-hmm. um and so uh i just for me when i think about that stuff i don't ever feel any real compulsion to like prove it right or like to oh, like, absolutely because it's like it's happening mostly in here which is where everything is happening but i mean right. you know what i mean i don't know or in here or, or somewhere, somewhere yeah. right like yeah right no it, it, absolutely yeah i i i detest debate yeah to be honest right like i i it's just something that i don't feel like i have a lot of energy for um and uh, i you know I have a lot of friends who are, are are very different, right? And 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 are very analytical and uh, evidence based, right? Um, and we just don't talk about some of these things, and that's fine, right? Yeah. Because it does. I don't need to prove a- anything to anyone because I because I don't know either, of right? <laughs> but yeah. I do know. But I do intuit that there is more going on, right? Like, you know, that's that uh, there is more going on than I know. And that alone is that's, that's my belief, I think. Yeah. And I think that's a healthy belief, because I I mean, well, and I mean, not just because it mirrors my own, all the beliefs that mirror (laughs) my own are the best, uh, healthy, healthiest (laughs) beliefs, of course, you know. (laughs) Um, No, but I, I what you're saying, I think is, um, you know, conversation about different ways we can look at things is uh, so different than debate, right? And I mm-hmm. and I think that like understanding that this person is using this kind of language to describe the universal human things that mm-hmm. we're all going through. Because earlier when you talked about you know suffering and how that's just a natural part of humans, I, it's just it is. It's like and and everybody is more alike in their suffering than different. And yet it is so Mm -hmm. easy to feel the opposite, you know? And I think that what you were talking about earlier about when that sort of egoic side of yourself gets dashed on the rocks a bit and that Mm -hmm. has to take a a lap, you know, take a breather or whatever, (laughs) the opposite. that opens you up to maybe some of some of what you're you're talking about the sense of mm-hmm. like okay there's something bigger bigger than me i mean do you are you tempted to ever suggest that songs you know you feel like those maybe come from a sort of shared mm. consciousness aspect or or at least some hidden aspect of your own consciousness certainly the latter yeah. po- possibly the former right you know uh, um i think that Yeah, I, 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 I can hardly attribute any conscious intention to my own, you know, to, to the genesis of my own songs, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, certainly, then, you know, the, the work begins once the idea arrives, and, and then you can't, you, you try to stay out of your own way, but you fail. Um, uh, Inevitably. But, <laughs> but in terms of where they, you know, they come from, 
Yeah, it's hard not. I mean, again, I have the language I have, I have for a reason, but it's hard not to attribute it to grace of some sort. Right. You know, um, I think that, uh, and, and I definitely believe in, uh, that there, or I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe in, in a collective aspect of the unconscious and I, right. Like it has, I have no doubt that, that there's, you know, that uh, informs you know everyone's creativity because there's we all have so much in common right yeah. like we keep returning to the same the same ideas and we're not we're not done with them yet um and it feels like a, a privilege just to get to be a voice in the chorus right quite honestly yeah yeah i mean that's the real you talked about growing up with a sense of miracles and when you think about mm-hmm. it the fact that any of us are experiencing anything is uh mm-hmm seems outlandish right and so right when you realize that there's a sort of foundational element of the miraculous it's a very um mm-hmm. i think it's it's helpful it's a very positive it can be a very positive thing but at the same time of course we've talked a little bit about growing up in religion and and, and the dogmas that sometimes come with this stuff with this territory mm-hmm. that's where it gets really really ugly for me and that's where i'm mm-hmm. like less interested in because that's where that argument thing starts to come into play, right? Where like, not only do you know what works for you, you know what works for me, you know? And that's right. like, and that's, I, I'm very allergic to that, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I think that probably has a lot to do with the, in some ways, the way I grew up, you know, um, mm-hmm. um, they would have said the same thing, of course, but I, I learned the lesson the other way somehow, you know? So I don't right. know. But yeah, that's a, that's, I, I I wanted to ask you, you know, a little bit about because we you mentioned people like uh, Frank Sinatra or mm-hmm. you know or, or or somebody I I think obviously of Burt Baccarat in in, mm-hmm. in in relation to your work or oh, yeah. even somebody like Scott Walker um, maybe the Big more time. are you somebody are, are, well let's start with Scott who's a, mm-hmm. a, a, a Talk about a monumental artist. Um, mm-hmm. Are you somebody who goes through most of the discography pretty much straight? Is there a jump-off point for you? Are you more drawn to one era more than another? Or how does it work for you with, with Scott Walker? Um, there's definitely not a jump-off point. I I love and appreciate all of his work. Um, for me, the first record that I ever got and the one that I continue to go back to the most is Scott three. Mm. Um, I was a Scott four guy for my first one. I, I I love that one too. And they're, they're very closely, you know, sort of linked as you know, but, um, something, there's something, there's something magical about Scott three, the sort of, um, the impressionistic lyrics and the arrangements are, are just, uh, and then his voice, right? It, it's so, yeah. yeah, so incredible. Um, but no, I mean, you know, like I love the drift too, right? You know what I mean? Uh, and, uh, and I see the same sort of just like fierce artistic vision and, and conviction sort of playing out. I mean, that's the thing about Scott is like, he does not open his mouth unless he means it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and he's one of those artists, right? And, uh, you know, I, I could say, you know, I could put Joni Mitchell in this category. I could put um, Dan Behar in this category, right? Like, 
It's a great one. Yeah. Some of their records I might like, I might enjoy actively more than others, but I'm on board. You know what I mean? Like they're going to have to do a whole lot to, to alienate me because I, I'm, I, I want to go, I want to see what they see. I want to go where they're going. Um, and, uh, yeah, Scott is just such a, yeah, he, he's such an enigma. Uh, but again, it's that mystery that I'm attracted to, right? I don't always know what he means. Yeah. That, 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 but I feel, I feel what he means, you know? And I think that's the level. And, you know, you asked about dub. I mean, I like what it makes me feel, right? I, 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 it's not about understanding how it works or, or, uh, it, 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 it's evocative to me. It make, it makes me feel something. Um, and, uh, and that's what I'm chasing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 evocative and it's not music where the meaning is primarily in the lyric even, you know. Right. Although you're a great lyricist and I think that's something that uh your your attention to songcraft, that's something that comes through all all through the work, you know. Thank you. I think of people like you know Nick Lowe, a songwriter, oh, yeah. a songwriter who can write, you know, punk back punk bashers you know mm -hmm. and then he can write these country weepers whatever he wants to do cool skiffle type stuff but he's such a masterful wordsmith i just saw him yeah. in elvis costello last month oh and yeah yeah it was, was mind-blowing to see those two dudes you know not young guys but both really mm -hmm. absolutely engaged in the music mm -hmm. but you know as a, as i mean do you have certain are there inspirations for you when it comes to songwriters specifically, guys or girls, people who you just are have always been drawn to? Who were the first kind of people that made you think I want to write songs now? Who mm. who are some of those artists? Um early early on, uh Elvis Costello was pretty much right he's he's been a, a constant source of inspiration and kind of where I locate that in his catalog um has it changes all the time and i think that's just a testament to the breadth there right uh, uh yeah but and that you know there's still elvis costello records that i you know 25 years later that i haven't really checked out that much <laughs> right and i look forward to it uh my uh, my goodbye cruel world phase is is no doubt coming up uh but um yeah so he's a big one. You know, early on, Elliot Smith was a huge, huge influence. Uh, he made it seem accessible from a mechanic standpoint, not, I mean, you know, like he, he, he's yeah. on another level in terms of his ability, but, but, you know, it, he, he modeled something for me that I felt like, right. I, I, okay, there's a way in for me here. Right. Um, there's a sophistication, but there's also something homemade about this, right? And and my earliest uh, recordings, as a lot of folks my age, you know, uh, were on a cassette four track, and he was definitely a big inspiration. But yeah, I mean, you know, I think that you mentioned Burt Bacharach, you know, for the last 10 years or something like that, he's been a huge inspiration as well. Just his ability to paint with music right um in his his fearless approach to harmony yeah right? i think because of because i'm so such a sort of feeling based uh person i think harmony speaks to me almost almost as you know more than anything else because it has that ability to suggest emotions that are 
as complex as real emotions, right? It's hard with, you know, we're limited with words. Um, we can certainly, you know, point a direction and poetry helps a lot, but um, there's something, a, a chord can say, you know, more than a thousand words. And, and and that's what I, that's something that I find that I'm continually chasing after. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, hearing you cite Costello is an interesting one to me because when I was listening, particularly to the Red Jacket Mind stuff, I was thinking mm -hmm. about the relationship between what might be pretty broadly called power pop or something like sure. that. Yeah. And then R&B, you know, and realizing mm -hmm. that, like, you don't often hear people talk about that thread necessarily. But when you really look at sort of the the connection there through somebody like Costello, who's not a purely a power pop guy, obviously, you know, sure. nobody would just yeah. classify him as that, but obviously has a great influence over the genre. Um, mm -hmm. But for you, yes. you know, I mean, were you thinking in terms of that, like, or even garage rock, like how often is garage rock just R&B with like a little more oh, fuzz, yeah. you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. um, that's an interesting uh, connection to me that I thought was really uh, kind of running through some of that stuff. Thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I especially those le later period Red Jacket Mine records, heavily, heavily influenced by R&B. Um, and power pop, right? But there's a particular kind of power pop that that allows that sort of soul element in that I think I'm most drawn to. Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Alex Chilton has been a huge influence on me, you know, may maybe a little bit less obviously on the solo records, but... Um, I mean, yeah, but when I think about some, like his like last couple things, like very, very sultry cool smooth yeah chet bakery vibes you know mm -hmm. i mean and i love those records you know and uh and then you know we talk about the mystery and the kind of you know sonic impressionism and and bleak beauty of big star third i mean you know, definitely top top five record for me of all time um and so, you know, and then, you know, I'd be remiss not to mention NRBQ and their influence on we're really everything that I do, but uh, particularly those latter period Red Jacket Mine records where I was just deep, deep in, in the queue. Even the cover art feels slightly NRBQ-y to yeah. me, uh, which was really cool, which is really cool. Because that's a group where we've talked about them and you sent me a ton of stuff um, and <laughs> I still haven't even been able to comb through all of it, but... Um, yeah. They're one of those bands where I love a band that suggests there are no rules, you know, yeah. or like there's no limit. Like it can do whatever that band can do what it wants. It'll 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 do a cool rock and roll song. It'll do a weird country thing. It'll cover. They'll cover Sun Ra, you know, to me, like that's like such a I love when a group is able to do that but also somehow it all sounds like them doing all of those things versus <laughs> just a, a jukebox you know what i mean right yeah no there's a sort of um sincere engagement with all the the material right that's why they're they're more than just a cover band even though they're they they had such such deep knowledge of all these sort of traditional song forms um yeah. There's something in the way that they, the, the personal way that they approach all of those song forms and the humor that they bring, right? Uh, and the sincerity. I mean, I think that that's, uh, you know, it's scary to be 
so sincere and 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 i think people often think of earnestness or sincerity as sort of an absence of humor but i i disagree <laughs> i think that there's a there's a place for both but right but you know uh humor and irony aren't the same thing um yeah for sure for sure the some of the funniest people i know are also the most like absolutely straightforward yeah. and earnest um yeah and 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 to me like for that that element is something that's often missing from music uh because mm-hmm. like a sense of humor is tricky to pull off sometimes in in music oh yeah you know uh it's hard to think of you know a lot of modern songwriters who are excel at being funny you know but mm-hmm. that said it's great when it happens and it's always um there is a sly element of humor in your in your work again i'm mm-hmm. thinking of I'm thinking of Safe to Dream, just in the wordplay, you know, yeah. uh, bodies resting, spirits questing, that like, that's playful, and maybe play, yeah. maybe playful is what we could be saying other than humor, you know, or, but even humor, humor, playfulness, whatever, whatever it is that we're trying to zoom in on, I love that you were able to work that in there, because it's easy to take stuff too seriously, too, and I think mm-hmm. can sometimes be, uh, you know, hold the work back in some ways. I don't feel like, you know, it's, I, I don't mean to say you're not taking the band seriously though. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, I take the band very seriously. They're, they're one of the best. Um, but I, <laughs> no, I, I, no, I, I really, really appreciate what, uh, what you're saying. And, and I, you know, I'd like to think, you know, on my best day, or at least my intention, right. Is to, is to walk that, that line yeah. uh, of, yeah. Um, you know, I can only really just show up and, and give, give the best that I have I, and try and, and respect the music as much as I possibly can. Right. Um, and, and that means, I, I think that means to me that if there's something exciting about it to me, that's all I have to go on. Right. Yeah. And sometimes that's a, that's a sly turn of phrase. And sometimes that's that's a you know deep vulnerability and and uh, admission of you know pain or uh, or um, un- very unflattering aspects of myself, <laughs> right? You know, um, yeah. But I I, I kind of have to trust. I think wherever it, it it leads me. Yeah. Well, I would say, judging by this most recent record and 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 the others that. It's led you good places so far, so keep it up. Um, <laughs> Thank you, dude. It Thank was, you. It, it was so great getting the chance to chat with you for, yeah. for this. I mean, it's been we've been you know it's been forever in the making, and it's always great when I get to have these conversations. I, you know, I prepare stuff for the show, but I was like, I have a feeling this one's gonna go just some places <laughs> I didn't intend, and sure enough, it did. So I really appreciate yeah. you taking it there. Oh man, it's an honor. I mean, I'm a I'm a faithful listener, and I I really really I mean, it, it, you just continue to sort of develop such a a fascinating line of inquiry with this show, right? And sometimes it's it the guests are people that I'm aware of, and I and I'm really looking forward to, and sometimes they're not, and I still I enjoy the hell out of it. So it's really a privilege to to get to do this and be a part of it, and I, I want to thank you for the opportunity. Lincoln Bar here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. If you want to support this show and the independent cultural work that Aquarium Drunkard does, the best way to do so is by pledging your support on Patreon. 
Over there, you can help make a great difference in our ability to share music we think is worth hearing directly with you. Everyone knows the value of record labels and institutions that help get music out into the world, and we see ourselves as one link in that chain of the musical ecosystem. So if you feel the same and Aquarium Drunkard improves your listening life, pledge your support over at Patreon today. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce this show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton. Art for the show this week was assembled by Dakota Brown. Our music comes from Frank Maston. Find more by visiting maston.bandcamp.com. And the show's executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his radio program, The Aquarium Drunkard Show, on Sirius XMU, Channel 35, at 7 p.m. Pacific Time each and every Wednesday night. Transmissions is part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Visit the TalkHouse for more interviews, fascinating reads, and podcasts, including our upcoming collaboration, No Way Out, an oral history of sunburn, Hand of the Man, which is premiering August 14th from Aquarium Drunkard and TalkHouse. That'll show up right here in the Transmissions podcast feed. So if you're listening to me now, there's a good chance you don't have to do anything. But check out Aquarium Drunkard and TalkHouse for more info on that. I'm very, very excited for folks to hear what our collaborators have been cooking up over at No Way Out. Before I go, last week we had Hathale here on the show, and I am pleased to announce that he's going to be joining me and Chris Schlarb's Psychic Temple, Chris being another past Transmissions guest, for a special show September 23rd at Gold Diggers in Los Angeles. Gold Diggers is, of course, Aquarium Drunkard's home away from home, and so I'm so excited to show up there and play some music from my album, Something Happening, Always Happening, and of course we'll have great sets from Psychic Temple and Hathali as well. So... You can find a ticket in the show notes for this episode at Aquarium Drunkard. And of course, you can find me on social media where I'll be posting about that gig an awful lot. Okay, we will be back next week with another all-new episode. In it, Darren Jesse joins me to discuss songwriting and playing drums in groups like Ben Folds 5 and His Golden Messenger. Stay loose until then. Be well. This transmission is concluded.